Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology is changing lives and our world. These new and incredible on-spine technologies allow people to become parents who never thought it was possible, and in ways that they didn't think was possible. We're here to tell the stories that go beyond that technology, real lives, real people that are touched every day. I am Jennifer White. I am one of your hosts of I Want to Put a Baby in You. Um, I am the director of Bright Futures Families, which is Colorado surrogacy, Montana surrogacy, and New Mexico surrogacy. And I get the fun parts of changing people's lives every day. And I'm here with my co-host, uh, my sister, and extraordinary human being, uh, Ellen Trapman. Oh, thank you. Um, yes. So my qualifications to be here are, of course, number one, that I am your yeah. little sister, little by 10, yeah, 15 100 years. years. I, I mean, really, I, I'm yeah, it's 100 okay. years. Right. Um, but I'm also an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law, a fascinating area um, where I can also make a difference in people's lives and helping to grow families and helping those who help others uh, and also get to work closely Yay. with my sister, Jennifer. Today is a very exciting interview. I feel like we say everyone's excited, Always but exciting. it is. It's truly exciting. Um, I know. Uh, so today we are interviewing Dominique Side, who so so wait for it. It's so we're, she specializes in escrow, and that like oh you just fell asleep. No, wake up. No, I, I I hear you that like insurance escrow. They sound like they'd be boring topics, but actually they can be completely fascinating. The way they intersect with surrogacy and people's lives, and like the real drama behind um, certain arrangements, as well as like the miracles that happen and making sure things go smoothly. So Dominic not only is the founder of an escrow agency, Surrogacy Escrow Account Management, but she also has a very compelling and interesting personal backstory of what brought her to this field. So uh, I'm excited to, stop saying excited, but I'm, I am excited to interview her. Welcome, Dominique Side, and if you don't mind giving yourself a short introduction, we are happy to have you here. Hello, thank you guys for having me. Um, as she said, I'm Dominique Side. I um, am the director of Surrogacy Escrow Account Management. We just say SEAM for short. Uh, we've been in operation for several years now, and we run escrow management for surrogacy and egg donation arrangements. That sounds really, really boring, escrow management, but uh, everyone stay tuned. <laughs> We're going to dive into how it's actually very fascinating. Okay. <laughs> but before we get into how escrow really is really interesting, um, I wanted to get a little bit of your background story because I know this comes from a really personal place that you came to this. Do you want to talk about what first got you interested in the assisted reproductive technology sure. world? I am very passionate about this field and it originated with a relative. Um, I have an aunt who's also my godmother who has no biological children. And she used to ask me when I was younger, if, if she ever wanted kids, would I carry for her? Um, she even asked once upon a time, you know, later on in life, if I ever wanted kids, will you be my egg donor? You know, and um, I love her. She's amazing. And I felt like, well, you know what, if, if I would do it for her, would I do it for anyone else? And it made me, you know, do some uh, reflection, I guess. And I looked at my kids. 
And it's like, this is a love I've never known. Like I, I, I would have never known had I not had them. And for people who want this, it broke my heart. They couldn't have it. And if I could help them have that, then I wanted to do it. So at 25, I was an egg donor. And at um, 30, uh, no, actually, Was it for your no. aunt? Was it for your aunt or <laughs> um, someone else? It was for a single intended mom that I didn't know. So the egg donation was an anonymous cycle. And um, once I turned 30 and I knew we were done having our own children, I decided that I wanted to be a surrogate. So I matched with a, I, wow. <laughs> I matched I with a couple that. that I also did not know um, through an agency. Um, and then I went on to carry their son and I matched with another couple after that, and I carried their daughter. That's awesome. So you are you still in contact with them, with either of those families? Yes. Uh, the, the first couple, I hear from the mom every blue moon, like maybe not even once a year, maybe 18 months-ish. And he is now five, and they travel quite a bit. Last I heard, they were living in Spain. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Um, and the last couple I keep in contact with often. We see each other. I go to birthday parties. Um, oh, are they, they are they local to you? They're in Austin, which is about three hours from where I live. Oh, should we mention where, where you live? <laughs> so you're in Texas. I live in Houston. <laughs> I'm in Houston, Texas. So I'm three hours from them, and they invite me to all the big things. And, and we just visit with each other when we're randomly in each other's towns. Wow. I know their parents. Um, you know, it's, it's a awesome. really, really wonderful that. extended family type of relationship. And how were your you know journeys, as they like to put it? Were they pretty smooth? <laughs> Was there drama? Was your family supportive? <laughs> Okay, so my journeys themselves were actually pretty smooth. Um, I know some people tend to think that, oh my gosh, that's crazy, you know, but they were wonderful. Uh, they went, they both went really well. Um, my family was hesitant. Um, my my husband was when he was finally convinced <laughs> that I that mostly mostly that I wanted to do it so badly that he just might as well let me have what I want. That's, that's hilarious. Someone was recently telling me that most surrogates were like the alpha of the family. They're the ones who are like, I want to do this. Like, you're going to let me do what I want. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, I, I probably took a more um, passive role uh, on like a roundabout way to that. But yes, <laughs> yes. I think to have done it again required me to be more you know um insistent and just um sharing my passions you know <laughs> during the first journey my husband was saying you know this is it one time I think that's enough and uh, because it's a sacrifice yes, for your family right um but when I was um pumping I pumped after both journeys, oh, wow. after both deliveries. I pumped. I pumped for six months, to, both times. To provide breast milk for the baby. Yes, yes. 
to provide breast milk for the babies. So after the first journey, I actually provided breast milk for someone else's surrogate baby. Oh, So that was an interesting relationship. The surrogate lived in Oklahoma and the parents lived local to me in Houston and their surrogate wasn't going to pump. So they knew I was delivering and they asked me, you know, if you're and parents aren't taking the milk who didn't live local to me. Right, since um, they traveled internationally. Right, exactly. So they said, well, we will take it. I was like, really? That's amazing. <laughs> so that was a, that was an amazing um, way to have <laughs> closure to the children. And you're helping so many different families. It's amazing. Yes, exactly. So do you still have contact with that family also? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, I also get invited to birthdays and things like that. You awesome. birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> so we we have developed a relationship beyond that one specific component, and and we are friends on Facebook. We're friends in real life. It's it's really cool. That's awesome. Um, yes. It is. But once my husband saw me doing that, he offered for the second time. Okay. That's really cool. That's one of the things I hear people say sometimes, especially is that their motivation is to show their, especially their children, you know, how to have such an altruistic and loving heart. So I can see that's good that you also gave your husband that lesson as well. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He, he, once he saw the delivery, like how there was so much love in the room mm. and that moment when the parents see their baby and yeah. he was just in oh. awe of all of that. And when I, we got home and I was pumping and I had this dedication to, you know, feeding these babies, uh, he, he was like, you know what, do you want to do it again? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So did you have escrow is the big question during your journeys? For my for my first journey, my agency managed my escrow. And, and just for those who aren't familiar, can you explain like what what is escrow and what purpose is yeah. So most people only know about escrow in relation to buying or selling a home. Right. But there are so many different industries that use escrow and it really is just the separate Third party, hopefully separate parties that manages the funds for the journey. So the intended parents give money to me and I look at the contract and I give the money to the surrogate based on the terms in the contract. And why why do they need that? Why do they need to pay a third person to do that versus just paying it directly for the contract? Ultimately, it's a way to protect everyone involved and to preserve the relationship. If you can take money out of the equation, then you avoid the awkwardness that happens around discussing money. Um, I've seen people able to manage that component later on down the road once they decide to maybe um, have a second or third baby with the same surrogate. But you're essentially strangers in the beginning and you're, you're getting to know each other like dating and you're doing this, you're making this big commitment, discussing money and dealing with sensitive contract terms when certain things happen or come up can be difficult and put a strain on a relationship that, that is essentially avoidable. Um, So we're, we're independent. And that means even that the surrogates can email us and talk to us 
when they have questions about something that they may not want to approach the intended parents about and vice versa. Intended parents approach us and talk to us about things that they don't want to, you know, subjects they don't want to broach with their surrogate because they don't want to stress her out or they don't want to um, maybe they think that she may get upset or, you know, and they don't want to chance, you know, ruining a relationship that they value. So that's why I grew there. So how did you come go from being a surrogate, being a donor, then being a surrogate twice to <laughs> opening your own business that manages escrow in these arrangements? It's really, to me, a very interesting story, but, um, we love, I started we out in, <laughs> well, to me it is. I started out in corporate America as an accounting clerk at 20. And I was very, very drawn to numbers and math. And I went from being an accounting clerk to managing large uh, accounts that um, where I was calculating commissions for authorized dealers of te- in the telecom industry. So totally unrelated to assisted reproductive technology, <laughs> however, very much numbers oriented and, you know, managing people's money. Um, and I went from that to managing projects to, you know, coordinating with application development teams and things like that. So just, you know, moving around, navigating corporate world. Um, I was in real estate for a while and that's where I came, became familiar with the concept of escrow. So once I did the egg donor cycle and had my foot into this, you know, world, because I think it's a completely different world (laughs) of becoming a surrogate, I was like, oh, wow, there's this component, you know, that I never even really knew existed. You learn about all the little niche, you know, services that are provided along the way. And I've, I made some good relationships, and in particular, a fellow surrogate who's also an attorney in this field. Um, we became friends as surrogates, and she said, hey, my husband is managing escrow under my law firm, but it's not really related to my practice, and he wants to separate this out into a separate company. What do you think about helping him? I was like, huh. That sounds very interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's, it's money, it's math, it's surrogacy, it's egg donation, it's all of the things in one, you know, place. And I'm passionate about this. So I can help way more families managing escrow than I could ever do just carrying babies myself. <laughs> so I, I love um, she says just yeah. carrying babies. Like that was no baby at all, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's that little thing. <laughs> right. Like it's like this really small thing. <laughs> but um, he and I met and hit it off immediately and began working together. And after about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half, he said, you know what? I think you can take this to another level. I have some other things going on in my career outside of this. Would you like to take over? And it's yours. Wow. <laughs> so um, I jumped at the chance. Yes. yes, absolutely. I jumped at the chance. Wow. That's an incredible way to get into it. That, that's awesome. 
So, so everybody yeah. loves a train wreck because those are fun to think about and talk about, right? Do, do you have any <laughs> awesome train wreck stories from from handling surrogacy? I mean, sorry, handling escrow. Oh man, yeah. Um, I I have this one particular account that always comes to mind, and I love that I can say that there's one <laughs> as opposed. As opposed to having to choose between several, there there is one that kind of all the red flags, you know, of, of people just cutting corners and um, not really taking it um, one step at a time. And, and in this particular case, it's an independent match, which, you know, some work out really, really well. Right but, there. <laughs> so independent- An independent match is when the... The parents and the surrogate find each other like online or in their own lives versus having some kind of agency or mediator kind of screen her and make sure everyone's um, well-educated. Yes. Um, No psychological screening for the intended parents. And I also think a very, very uh, slim <laughs> like not comprehensive screening for the surrogate. Um, a surrogate who's never been pregnant before, ever. How, how is that even possible? Like seriously, <laughs> I I can't even comprehend that happening. That that's amazing. I I was surprised that a clinic even approved this, especially for someone who they didn't know beforehand. I've seen this in maybe in a family situation. Maybe like a sister caring for a sister and they're not being that pregnancy history. But even then, I think clinics shy away from those situations. But this in particular. How did these people find each other? Do we know? Um, online, I right? think There's online. I think online. I, I want to say it was online. Um, so surrogate had never been pregnant. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> Surrogate had never been pregnant before. The intended mother had been pregnant before. So she had her own ideas of what a pregnancy looks like or should feel like. And that in and of itself caused some issues. Um, Yeah. The surrogate got pregnant with twins. (laughs) Was that that not the plan? No, I don't think it was. I, I think this particular clinic Despite the um, grade of embryos, like, you know, it was, they were tested and looked really, really good. But I think they transferred to anyway, which is not necessarily suggested or, <laughs> or encouraged. Oh, um, I mean, but, unless you really want twins. <laughs> right. Unless you really, really, really want twins. Um, and and unless you're also prepared for a possible split and have triplets, no, I mean, you right. really have to be prepared for those small chances because they happen. We right. we actually know somebody who had two embryos transferred, both took and both split. Oh, so it, it does happen. It does oh, happen. Wow. Um, this particular surrogate had hypermesis, so. Not just regular morning sickness, but admitted to the hospital, on fluids, bed rest, all of these things in the first trimester. And then later on, 
put on bed like rest. The, the princess. The, yes. The princess have that. Exactly. <laughs> just, to give, just give a reference, you know, to royalty. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, being put on bed rest later on in the pregnancy as well, all of this comes down to lost wages. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, so from, from an escrow standpoint, this is when you um, – you may cringe <laughs> if, yeah. if mm-hmm. the relationship or is already strained or if you know that, you know, things are not lining up to be smooth, then when you hear bed rest and you think lost wages and you're like, man, okay, here we go. Because that's All exactly right. what this was. Luckily, um, she had a really low paying job and it was really clear what was owed, right? No. No. <laughs> Of course not. It could not be that easy. This particular surrogate was a student when they signed this gestation. So so no lost wages then? She went on to become self-employed as a photographer with an actually well-paying history. Like she established a well-paying business. She had a lot of clientele. Um, That's great. Because she, was self-employed, because she was self-employed, we had to request a lot of documentation um, because it was her first year in business. We needed bank statements and um, all sorts of things for several months. And, and the intended mother was not happy about that at all because it she didn't anticipate um, the surrogate being establishing a business like that um, and making that much money. So Lost Way just added up very quickly and did not help the circumstances. Um, but I would have to say that all in all, you know, all things considered, I strongly believe that escrow saved this situation. <laughs> Um, we, were the only, we were the only party involved, the only third party involved. Um, it was contentious. There were, there was a lot of back and forth. I felt like a therapist. Yes. By the end of <laughs> <laughs> but at least there was someone. And for both parties, you know, they came to compromise on a couple things. Um, but all in all, if there had not been an escrow account, I honestly could not tell you what the result would have been between the two of them. This would have been one of those that was in the news is what it sounds like if that had been the case. Uh, yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. Um, which I, I never like to see because as I mentioned in the beginning, this was this is rare. Um, our volume, we have like over 400 open accounts currently and yeah. (laughs) So for me to be able to pick out this one case means it's rare that we come across train wrecks like this. Yeah. And so most of those 400 are just, just smooth. Like she gets pregnant and you're just paying Mm -hmm. the expenses and compensation per the agreement. Yes, most are smooth. I mean, there are some hiccups. There are sad stories, 
but all in all, the contract is followed, the accounts are funded, and you know there's you know some heartbreak with losses, but people are able to work through them, you know. Um, unfortunately, that happens. <laughs> yeah. Do they send you baby pictures? I feel they do. Like there's so many people. Hey. Oh, even Escrow gets baby pictures. I, I love it. it. I love it. I love it. I I love when I get a baby picture. It makes like months. <laughs> um, and yes, it, sometimes you feel like oh, Escrow gets you know forgotten, and but no, people are. <laughs> so appreciative of the service that we offer um and yeah i love when they send me pictures awesome. so what are your favorite stories then i you know i i want to move away from the train wreck part because there obviously <laughs> are happy things what, what are the good things what do, what do you get to hear when do you get to hear the happy stories okay so my absolute favorites are sibling journeys and that just means that the intended parents on the surrogate, have, you know, they there's a baby. They come back a year later and they want to do it again. <laughs> so, um, and I say a year, it could be as short as six months that they, you know, after everything is settled from the first journey, they decide that they want to um, go at it again. And I have some accounts that um, the families have come back three times. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Have, yes, we have a surrogate right now who's pregnant with twins. And this is their third account with us with the oh, same wow. family. So wow. so babies three and four for the family. That's yes. great. So it was a girl, oh, wow. a girl, and now twin boys. Ah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yes. Yeah, so that I, those are my absolute favorite when people email me and they say, Hey, we want to try again. We're coming back. And I'm like, yes, yeah, that is awesome. You know? That is really so heartwarming. what advice would you give from your perspective to help people that are you know contemplating or just starting in a surrogacy journey or an egg donation uh, journey as well? You know, what, what do you think is most important from your perspective? I think that the support system that you have in the field, it, it matters. So take your time identifying what attorney you want to use. You know, talk to different people who have been there. I know there are groups online, like on Facebook, that are support groups and review groups and all of these things where people find referrals, um, look into. <laughs> or, or ask me. I know a few attorneys. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So be diligent and thorough in choosing your agency. Um, <laughs> you want. Well, and I say this all the time to people. I'm like, you know, you, that's great that I have an agency, but it doesn't matter that I may not be your perfect agency. You should always, always research and find what is perfect for you. Same for attorneys, same for agencies, same for everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your attorney, your agency, um, your clinic. Mm, um, yes. <laughs> yes, because you don't want clinics that are not following ASRM guidelines. You don't want them signing off on, you know, surrogates that... Haven't had a baby before? Right. <laughs> haven't had a baby before. What, so what, what clinic was involved with that one match? Uh, I don't know if you should ask that. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. 
No, we will leave it up to everyone else to do their homework. Right. It's their providers. So um, I am a strong um, advocate for independent escrow agencies, of course. It does not have to be me. I tell people this all the time. It does not have to be me. However, please choose someone independent of returning in your agency. Um, And there are, there are a number of providers out there. Kind of what would you advise? What kind of questions should people ask about escrow and what should they look for? I think one of the big ones that some people overlook is the bonds and insurance. So is, so is the escrow company bonded? Do they have a professional liability insurance policy? Not. So do people ask you to see your policy, your do. professional liability they policy? They absolutely do. Good. I, Good. I actually am surprised at how many people don't. Should we post it? On, we'll post it with the, the podcast. Here's your professional <laughs> liability policy. No. I really am surprised at how many people don't. Um, but I do have people that do, and we give them a copy of our certificate, uh, the bond and the insurance. Happily, we provide those things. Um, but some people, they see the websites, they go and like, oh, they have insurance, and it, all it says is FDIC. FDIC insurance is just a federal insurance that covers your money if the bank fails. I was going to say, my <laughs> bank account has FDIC insurance, you know, just my regular yes. personal bank account does. Absolutely. If it's a single depositor, FDIC will cover up to $250,000 in an account if the bank fails. That's any account. So that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for coverage beyond that. You're looking for coverage if someone in the company messes up, God forbid somebody tries to run off with all the money because that's what people think, you know, is the worst case scenario. Um, you want to know that they have a professional liability insurance policy that's going to cover you and protect you in those instances. Right. That's really good advice. So contracts totally are black and white, right? Ask the attorney here. Um, yeah, really, no no way you can possibly misinterpret any terms, right? Yeah. Your job is easy, <laughs> huh? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it's okay. Take this moment to, to bag on a trust. <laughs> Ultimately, I, I feel like um, everyone has good intentions. You know, everyone wants to do the best for their client. That's what their job is. Um, what you write when a, an attorney that drafts a contract, what you write, you know your intention. You know what you mean to say when you write it. However, someone else who's reading it that cannot read your mind may not (laughs) read it the same way. And that happens. It happens a lot. And honestly, the way that- Can you give an example? Sure. Um, Something came up the other day about uh, bed rest versus activity restrictions. Oh, uh-huh. So So what what was the question? A lot of contracts do say bed rest. A lot of contracts do like, not. Like you are paid lost wages if you're on bed rest. Yes, lost wages or housekeeping or childcare or all of the above. You are you can be reimbursed for those things or paid those things if if the surrogate is on bed rest during the pregnancy or you know after delivery. I think the big one for us is um, after delivery. This gets challenged sometimes. 
Uh, it says bed rest. She may not necessarily be on strict bed rest, but her activities are restricted. Like she can't drive. She can't lift more than 10 pounds. And if she's got three kids under five, guess what? That impacts how she manages her household. So, um, you know, those things. And it, it it does get challenged. And I hate to see that when it gets challenged, but it would be wonderful if it were clearer that um, it's not just applicable to strict bed rest. It's also mm-hmm. so to restricted for, activities. So. Uh, okay. So for all the attorneys who practice in this area out there listening, what is your favorite language that you like? Like bed rest or, and or restricted activity per a doctor's note? Or do you have specific, even better language that? No, I think that is great. Because <laughs> if we have a doctor's note that's telling us what she can and cannot do, then that yeah. helps to justify the reimbursement. Like, yeah. like, no, she can't go to work because guess what? Her job requires that she stands up for six hours straight or whatever it is, you know, and her, you yeah, know, she just gave her. Right, she just or that they require that she be able to drive herself to yeah. work. Right. <laughs> that, that. So yeah, maybe she could sit at a desk because I've heard this before. She has a desktop. She'll be fine. Well, she has to drive there. No, she can't. <laughs> oh, um, no. And a lot of obstetricians won't clear a surrogate to go back to work less than in less than two weeks. They're not, they're not even wanting to see them. Oh, I was going to say six weeks, but two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I've, I've seen it. <laughs> We actually recently saw an employer that refused to allow them to come back before six weeks. The employer wouldn't even. Yes. Yes. It, and it, and for very good reasons. Um, I do have to remind surrogates sometimes that uh, recovery, no, you don't have a newborn at home. And so that is not impacting your recovery. However, when you don't have a newborn at home, you forget that you just had a baby unless you're pumping. If you're pumping breast milk, you are on the same feeding schedule as those new parents with that new baby over at their house. (laughs) So that impacts being able to go back to work. You're pumping every three hours. You're waking up in the middle of the night pumping. (laughs) You know, so there are are things, yeah, there are things, circumstances that impact recovery. And some people believe that, oh, there's not a newborn there, so she's fine. Not necessarily the case, and and you have to consider that. Any other really good um, terms that lawyers mess up that can be read multiple ways that you can think of? I think the other thing that comes up quite often is, um, unfortunately, in times of loss. Mm. So when compensation is, is prorated, based on a law. Those terms can be a little confusing for people. And, um, and they're at an emotional time. So that doesn't help. Right. So it would be amazing if that's considered when contracts are drafted, just being very concise. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite language? All the lawyers, right? (laughs) So I had a really, really long discussion with um, a handful of attorneys a couple different times at a conference recently about this specific thing. 
And I'm hoping that something comes out of it that, you know, is more widespread. But I actually um, prefer that if they're choosing, I guess what I see most common is maybe 30 weeks for a singleton or 32 weeks for, uh, I mean, 32 weeks for a singleton and 30 weeks for twins uh, or multiples rather. Um, and those numbers mean that if she gave birth before the 30th or 32nd gestational week, that she's only paid a prorate amount than what she would have received if she had made it all the way to full-term delivery. Exactly. Um, I feel like I've seen some numbers that are all over the board. And I've seen some that are as early as 24 weeks. Oh, wow. Fully, fully wow. dusted at 24 weeks. Wow. I'm, I don't think that that's um, fair um, to the intended parents, actually. And I don't think it's a an honest representation of what compensation is truly meant to be for. Um, and then I've seen some later that I also don't think is fair. Um, and clauses that are based on results. I don't like clauses that are based on results personally. Uh, yeah. Um, so if the baby survives or if the baby doesn't survive should have no, uh, it shouldn't factor into compensation. Yeah, no, we've definitely seen some interesting spreads of things, especially who's where the first payment falls and how far it long it takes until that first payment. Cause you know, it could be that the pregnancy test, you know, is positive on the yes. second of the month. And then, of course, you don't. they don't get paid until the next month. And then there's a huge mm-hmm. batch at the end. So I can definitely see if there's a way to make that language more even across the board yes. for those weeks, it would be probably very beneficial to all sides so, yes. to have fewer misunderstandings in the long run. Right. One of the ideas that was floated around um, that I feel like is fair is um, I proposed that Compensation begins accruing, I guess, at confirmation of heartbeat, even if it's paid on the first of the month um, following confirmation of heartbeat, because we've had losses in between. So we've had people who go to the ultrasound, there's confirmation of heartbeat, and then they miscarry before the first compensation installment, and no one knows what to pay them. So... That's a hard situation to deal with because she was pregnant from transfer. So ultimately, um, if the prorated amounts are taking into account a full-term pregnancy from transfer to, you know, the estimated delivery date, you know, there's like 240 days in a pregnancy, something like that. Um, if you take the comp and divide it by that daily rate and you come up with a daily rate, then that first payment that you get, that first of the month payment or whatever, whenever it happens, really reflects how long the surrogate has been pregnant. And then the rest of the payments maybe are broken up into eight. So she's paid all of her comps by maybe 37, 38-ish weeks. Interesting. That's full term. Right. I think that is fair to me. But... <laughs> yeah. I say let, let, let's, yeah. let's go out happy come on I definitely don't see that so okay everyone let's, let's get it changed 
Um, and that was a little bit of a bummer with the losses. Um, I just feel like there, there are less of them than people think. And, and most of the stories are happy stories. Um, those are the ones that just don't get the attention. Like we, we had to turn to a surrogate, then we had a healthy baby. Yay. And yes. like, oh, yawn. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But I love to focus on those. I, I keep right. those in the forefront of my mind because that's right. why we do this. Right. Right. You know? Absolutely. We do this yes. to make families. Yay. So. Yeah, we love family. So <laughs> yay. So Thank you so yes. much for coming out and sharing your story about how you have created your own family and made a lot, a lot of other families better. <laughs> and your expertise. I'm hoping this will, you know, change the whole industry that will get better, especially all the attorneys. We're going to do a better job now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we so appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity yeah. to talk about this stuff. Yay. We love, we love escrow. Okay. I love escrow. Sorry. I'm totally a nerd. So <laughs> thank you, Dominique. We definitely love Dominique. Yes, we do love Dominique, especially. So thank you so much. Thanks. Today's lesson of the day, I think is a really basic one about escrow that, you know, having this element of money, which the whole world, you know, feels very sensitive about and questions when it comes to helping someone have a family, it's really important to to make sure that everything's clear from the beginning and to have that that middleman so that you're never having a direct conversation about money once someone's pregnant, you know, carrying someone else's child or someone else carrying your child. So having a great person like Dominique in the center, kind of just managing it per the terms and taking it out of the equation, I think is is key to making everything go go smoothly. Yeah, it makes it a lot more about the relationship when you're actually, and that's what you want it to be when you're having the baby. So um, yeah, so uh, speaking of money, oh wait, no, there's no good segue on this one. I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I've run out <laughs> of jokes. I'm done. Yeah, no. So um, we would love it though. Uh, not related to money because we don't get any financial incentives if you do this. Uh, if you would go to iTunes and review us and tell us how awesome you think we are, um, just because you know we we like to know that people are listening and we we know that there's at least three of you listening. Uh, one of which is my daughter. So, um, but you know everybody else, we'd love to hear from you too. There are other ways that you can also reach out to us. Uh, give us a call and leave us a message at three zero three nine nine seven. 1903. Uh, we would love to hear from anybody and anything they have to say and contributions. We, we love to get uh, fan mail and recordings and things like that for us. And I, I do want to give one final new kind of shout out that we are about to go be part of the Colorado Walk of Hope. We, we are going to have Team Fetal Attraction. And I will say that this is a, a cause that is near and dear to us. Resolve is an incredible organization. And we would love it if anybody who is local in Colorado wants to join our team. We have really awesome t-shirts. We won the t-shirt design contest last year, and we intend to win it again this year. Uh, if you join us, we would be happy to give you a t-shirt. I will note that the Walk of Hope doubled in length this year. So instead of one mile, it's two. Oh. So I know I've been I've been oh, training. So much pain, so oh. much walking. Um, that's like two hundred trips to the refrigerator. Oh, back. you're right. No, that's a lot. That's a long way. <laughs> but I will say, if you can't join us, uh, we would love any contributions that people want to make. They all go to Resolve. And even if you don't want to contribute to us and you just want to give to the Walk of Hope in general, that would be fantastic. 
and even more on the like i love the and 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 ellen was excited 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 in the beginning and i'm gonna and 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 on the end um even if the walk of hope has passed and you're past june 23rd 2018 resolve always would take donations from you at any time so this still continues to be timely or if you don't live near colorado (laughs) if you live anywhere else in the country you can't come to colorado they are an incredible organization to support that really we just wanted to let everybody know that this is something out there that really makes a difference to people in in this community so um thank you to chris wright at work at bird studio who does an awesome job of making us sound incredible and we uh, hope to hear from everybody next week talk to y'all later bye